Tonight, I would like to begin by asking the question, where is your hope? Where is your hope? And I'm asking, where is your hope? Because if we're honest, I think that day to day, we may appear as anything but hope-filled Christians, of hope-filled people as Christians. And I'm saying this because I think many times we get discouraged and we feel beaten down by uh, things as we look around at current events and we look at circumstances and um, really everything in the culture that is arrayed against us as followers of Christ. And, you know, I think this even makes us tempted to lower our expectations in prayer and really to only just reducing the scope of our prayers to what we think is humanly possible. And so what I'm saying is, is that too often, I think we, and myself included, we just have so little hope in God that we expect so little from God. We have so little hope in God, we, we expect so little from God. So with these thoughts in mind, I'd like to turn your attention to the 59th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 59, uh, end of the chapter, uh, verses 19 through 21, Isaiah 59. You know, here in this chapter, we've got a prophecy uh, that was given to Israel at a time when the sins of the people had brought them to the worst situation where justice and righteousness perished out of the land. The terrible consequences of their sin was that it made a separation between them and their God. But in the darkest time, God himself promises to come in power when there is no one who can deliver them. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. He is the Redeemer of his people, So let's read Isaiah 59, uh, 19 through 21. It says, They will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come to Zion, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. Notice that three times in this text, it tells us who is speaking. These are the words of Yahweh, the Lord himself. The repeated statement magnifies what is being declared here almost as if you could imagine a giant exclamation point in the text. Now he says, a Redeemer will come to Zion. God is going to take action and send a Redeemer for his sin-ruined people. What is the response of those who will be redeemed? It will be that those turn from transgression in Jacob. And he promises to make a covenant with these redeemed ones whom he calls out. The effect of this new covenant will be that God's Spirit will be upon them, and God's words will not depart from their mouths and from the mouths of all of their descendants forever. 
from now and forever. It's Yahweh himself who accomplishes their redemption. And it is his purpose to take away their hard hearts and fill them with his Holy Spirit, which will bring forth the fruit of lips that overflow with the words of God. Now fast forward 760 years after the time of Isaiah to the time of the writing of Paul's letter to the Romans. And remember, this is the time of the Roman Empire, and and shortly before this, God was manifest in the flesh in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to his own people, but his people did not receive him. His own did not receive him. They as a nation rejected their true king and conspired to put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, and then Jesus personally met Paul after the resurrection and had given him a commission to proclaim the good news, the gospel of remission of sins in Jesus' name. And Paul went everywhere preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But as you know, most of the Jews who heard him stumbled in unbelief. So Paul then made the offer of the gospel to the Gentiles. And by God's grace, there was an experience of great success. The Apostle Paul cites this passage that we read from Isaiah 59 in his letter to the Romans, chapter 11. And here he must speak of the majority of his brethren, the Jews, who are enemies and hardened to the truth of the gospel. You know, if we might have been there with Paul before he wrote the letter to the Romans, we could have asked him um, the question, Paul, where is your hope? Has God rejected his people? The Jews, you say that your heart's desire and prayer for the the Jews is that uh, for their salvation. But what hope do you have that anyone would ever see their hard hearts taken away? Um, Romans nine to eleven are Paul's answer to these questions. But for the sake of time, let's just consider the joyful expectation that Paul expresses in Romans eleven verses twenty five and twenty nine. If you'd like to turn there. Romans 11, 25 to 29. Paul says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, that Christ the Deliverer will remove ungodliness from Jacob. He will make known his new covenant with them when he takes away their sins. Now, these are glorious promises full of the kindness and the grace of God who keeps his word forever. One day, yet in the future, the physical seed of Israel will turn from transgression in repentance and faith. They will be received as sons and reconciled to God through Christ, no longer enemies to the gospel. And Paul has ground to hope that the Lord will fulfill his promise to Israel fully and astonishingly. The whole world will see this and wonder. Paul anticipates 
the shock and the impact of the conversion of the Jews to Christ when he writes earlier in the chapter in Romans 11, 11 to 15. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? The world may be full of unbelief and the church may be mostly asleep. But when the Jews are brought into the fullness of the new covenant, it will be like life from the dead on this earth, in history, at some point in the future from now. At the very least, this sounds like global revival. At the most, we can anticipate the further calling of the Gentiles brought to repentance and faith and the triumph of the cause of the martyrs on earth. But speculation on the details aside, still the point is that Paul had a real future expectation and a certain hope that, and this in spite of the fact that humanly speaking, he had very little under the present circumstances to justify such a hope. Consider for a moment that in Paul's day, the churches were scattered in various cities across the Roman Empire, suffering persecution at the hands of the Gentiles and the Jews. The advance of the gospel was astonishingly fast and far-reaching. Many thousands of Paul's brethren, a believing remnant of the Jews, had turned to Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God had united all believers, the Jews and Gentiles, into his assembly, the church of called-out ones, the saints, But the majority of the ethnic Jews and their leaders rejected the good news, and Paul bore in his body the marks of their rejection of Christ. But here in Romans, we find Paul could praise God for the kindness of his loving sovereignty, even over the hardness of the hearts of his brethren in Israel. If not in this generation, there would be a generation to come, the seed, the children of the children of the children, who would one day turn away from transgression and receive the Holy Spirit, such that the word of God would not depart out of their mouths in a perpetual multiplication of fruitful discipleship to Christ. Their Redeemer, and this forever, the Lord will remove the ungodliness of superstitious ceremonies and take away their sins of self-righteousness by the power of the blood of his cross, and they who were once hardened and enemies of the gospel will hear the good news And they will be granted faith to repent and to believe in Christ to the salvation of their souls. Paul's prayer and his heart's desire will yet be answered. And my question is, is this your prayer also, Christian? For centuries, the followers of Christ have had this certain hope. And they prayed for the people of Israel uh, because of this. And, And the expectation is that in due time... God will bring it about and be glorified in the salvation and the, and the restoration of his covenant people. All we can say is that, humanly speaking, this all looks very unlikely. And what is worse is that, as Christians, uh, often we have such a low view of the power of the gospel 
that we do not expect God to accomplish great things through the appointed means of the foolishness of preaching yet in history. But I would urge us all to consider God who makes such promises as we see in Isaiah 59 and then affirms them again 760 years later in Romans 11. And then let us humbly ask the Holy Spirit to apply this certain hope to our own attitude and and our situation. Do you have loved ones that you've been praying for for 10, 20 years? Um, You know, we have good reason not to give up hope since God's arm is not so short that it cannot save and his ear is not so dull that it cannot hear Isaiah 59 verse 1. Do we feel beaten down by the cycle of bad news that we hear? Do we feel that we can only expect things to go from bad to worse and evil to go more and more unrestrained and with less and less success of the preaching of the gospel? Where is our hope? I ask this of myself, and I'm tempted to forget that the gospel is the power of God, and I neglect the abundant memory of his great goodness. But consider... Consider that in the darkest times of human history, our kind and sovereign God has brought revival to his people and success to the proclamation of the gospel. May we not expect such a mighty move of his Holy Spirit again? At the very least, we should not bother with speculation, but give ourselves to prayer, as the apostle did, in certain hope that Christ would reign victorious and that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We say this because Yahweh has declared in Isaiah 43.21 that the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Where is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. He is our only hope in life and death. And because he's the object of our faith, we have a certain hope of his return. We should have a certain hope that he will accomplish all of his purposes promised in his word both for this world and the world to come. And may God grant us to expect great things of him in certain hope, because he will be glorified in the world, in history, as he keeps every promise of his word.